All right, guys, welcome back. It is day 351, yeah, 351. Um, and it is December 17th. My name is Shay. I'm an intern with middle school and high school at the Mill Creek campus. And I have my mom here with me. Hi, my name is Lynn. All righty. So this week, well, th- today we had All of Nahum, which is a really short book which is interesting to me. I don't know why short books are always intimidating, but they are. Um, It goes into talk about just the fall of Nineveh. So can you, do you want to elaborate more on what you kind of understood of it? Yeah. So I hadn't read Nineveh, sorry, Nahum for a long time. And it is a vision that was given to um, Nahum about Nineveh and you know, when I think about Nineveh, I'm usually thinking about Jonah. Me too. Yes. <laughs> and it was actually a little over a hundred years before Nahum got this vision that Jonah was sent to Nineveh. And Nineveh was historically a very, very evil place. Mm-hmm. And Jonah was even afraid to go there, Yeah. but they did repent. And so this was a little over a hundred years later. And now God is pretty much done with Nineveh. Right. Yeah, for me, I had never read Nahum ever. So it was really nice to kind of get a different perspective of Nineveh uh, after Jonah, after um, his yeah. him being swallowed by a whale because he rejected God in a similar sense of like, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. But then he's like, okay, I've got to do this. But it goes to show God gave them years and years, decades, a century for them to repent and change their ways of evil. Um, And it like chapter one, well, yeah, chapter one just talks about the Lord's anger against Nineveh, but also kind of shows God's mercy and God's Grace, because I know for me, I wouldn't give someone a hundred years yeah. to repent and say, I'm sorry, I did, I did wrong. Yeah. And they initially did repent after mm-hmm. Jonah went there. Yeah. They did repent. And, but there was obviously a falling away. Exactly. And, but one of the things that I was um, drawn to in, in um, Nahum 1 is verse 7. In the midst of this whole book that's full of God's anger and his wrath and his judgment, he, it says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Yeah. So in the middle of this evil, bloody city, he, he, made sure he recognized those who mm-hmm. follow him and take refuge in him. So that was something that I think we can find comfort in, yeah. that in what, no matter what environment we live in and how evil, how much evil surrounds us, that God doesn't forget those who take refuge in him. Yeah, and I think that's so important to remember, especially in today's age of just like social media and Christianity is just seen as like the worst thing right. because people either just don't understand it or don't want to understand it or have been hurt by someone who says they're a Christian, but in reality, they're just being hypocrites with their actions and their words. So I think it's just amazing to see that 
just in the midst of just anger and just like, I am gonna destroy you because you have destroyed my heart and my love for you. Right. But those who, but those who seek after God, he, yeah. he, he won't forget us. Those who, yeah. those who seek after God will find new strength in healing and soar on the wings of eagles. Right. Which I think is just so crazy. Uh, chapter two and three are kind of, they kind of match each other. It just tells all of, two talks about all of the things, all of the misery the people of Nineveh are gonna go through because of their actions. It wasn't anybody else's actions that brought them there, it was theirs. Right. Like God gave them plenty of chances to change their ways. Um, plenty of chances to come running back to him and being that prodigal son, but they decided they could be better off without him. And then chapter three, the word woe is not a word I would have necessarily thought meant what it means. Oh yeah. Like for me, I like looking up the true definition I understood it as if it's in the Bible, it's basically it's bold print underlined and italicized. So mm-hmm. it's just like emphasizing every word that is around it. Like woe to Nineveh. And it's like a warning. Exactly. It's there's something bad coming. So mm-hmm. pay attention. Exactly. Yep. And then we move on into Revelation, which is probably the most imitate in intimidating book of the Bible for not just people to read, but for pastors to preach about, which um, I'm really thankful that Dan had started to preach about it um, at the beginning of November, which I think is, Mm -hmm. I wish a lot more pastors would preach about it because it gives more understanding of who God is and why he does the things Mm -hmm. he does. for me, I think the biggest thing is the seal and golden censer is what's talked about in verse um, one through five. But verse one is the biggest one that stood out for me because it says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. But why does it say half an hour? How does heaven measure time? Right. It's more of, it talks about the importance and the significance of that silence, that silent time of everything was just quiet and calm because everything before was not, it was boisterous. It was loud. Right. The description of heaven is definitely not quiet. No. And I was drawn when I read that, I was drawn back to uh, Revelation 4, 8, where it talks about the four living creatures. Mm -hmm. And these creatures are all day long. It says day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty who was and who is and who is to come day and night without ceasing. And so there is to have uh, suddenly to have silence in heaven must have been incredibly profound. Oh, exactly. And just a time of, I know when somebody dies here, somebody um, that was very meaningful to people often will have a moment of silence Mm -hmm. just in honor of them. But this moment of silence and revelation was an indication of 
the judgments that were coming Mm -hmm. and that they were going to be very profound. Yeah, I think just reading from a study Bible's point of view, I have all of these descriptions on the side. So that was really helpful because Revelation in and of itself is scary to read, but it breaks it down into kind of an elementary level, which I think even as adults, when you read it and you've been reading the Bible for years, you've read it multiple times, reading those sub margins are so impactful and you kind of understand it more than when you would have just read the verse by itself. Um, So verse six through the rest of chapter, um, through the rest of chapter eight, kind of just goes on to um, the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to sound them. Um, like for me, that that entire part was just hard for me to understand. Yeah. But you kind of understand it a bit better than <laughs> I do. Well, I mean, this in chapter eight, we get to see what happens with the first four trumpets and each yeah. one, each trumpet blast represents a judgment that's coming. And, um, so each time the trumpet blasts, something new happens. But I noticed that even before the first trumpet, um, the golden censer, there was fire from the altar that was added to it and it was thrown down to the earth. And there was um, thunder and lightning and an earthquake. Yeah. So that's just to start out. The judgments haven't even started. And then with each trumpet, something new happens. And I noticed that it's often something being thrown down to earth. And I don't know if that's why there was that moment of silence in in heaven, because I know it had to break God's heart to have to actually do this to to the earth that he created. Right. He's essentially destroying what he created. I know young kids when they create a giant Lego masterpiece and they have to break it apart to put it back in the box to play with later. They are so distraught and just so sad. Yeah. But it's hard to destroy what you've created. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But think about God. He created much more than just a Lego piece. But to that child, it's everything to them. That's their whole world at that moment. Yeah. I'm sure it really breaks God's heart to have to, to do this. But again, it kind of reflects back on what, with Nineveh. I mean, God has given the world centuries of opportunity to turn to him. And this is obviously in the future. And so we are still in that moment and then still in that time period where we have the opportunity as, um, for as humanity to turn to him, but this is, this is prophecy. So we know this is going to happen. We know that people are getting farther and farther away from him. So it's, um, it's hard to read. It's hard just it to see what's going to happen. And it's interesting that each time about, you know, he very repetitively, a third, a third of the earth, you know, the ground was burned up. A third of the seas in the rivers were turned, you know, bitter. And it was always a third yeah, was destroyed. Wormwood, which was a weird name for a star. Yeah. I think that's interesting. But it, but it represents a worm. A wormwood tree is naturally bitter. So if it's 
being if you name something after something that's bitter, you're thinking of that object as it's bitter. Right. And that's what it did to the waters. It turned them bitter. Yeah, exactly. And then we also had Psalms 136 verse uh, 1 through 26 which I think this in and of itself is profound because we have Nahum, who, which is talking about all of the destruction that God is going to bring to right. Nineveh. And then we have Revelation, which is another just spew of judgment and prophecy of what's to come. Right. And then we go to Psalms and it talks about all the great things God has done um, and his love is everlasting repeats itself 26 times of saying his love endures forever. Right. Like whose love on earth is forever. I know there's times where even in marriages, which is kind of sad and scary, that love will take a pause because we forget to love each other. We forget to take the Mm -hmm. time to just be like, hey, how are you doing? How is your spiritual life? How is... How are you doing mentally? How can I better serve you as a spouse? And I don't know why I'm saying this because I'm not married, (laughs) but I've seen it in relationships, not just with my own family, but with families that I've interacted with. And it's sad to see, but it's still important to kind of acknowledge that whether it's a friendship, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a parent and child, you need to continue to pursue that love, continue to, I know I use the word date a lot, but you need to continue to date that person because they're not the same person they were yesterday or 10 years from 10 years ago, or even a week ago. Well, you know, and and here, God, I mean, we have a relationship with God, just like you're talking about a parent-child relationship or a marriage relationship. We have a relationship with God and God's reminding, you know, he's talking about Israel and he's reminding Israel, not just who he is and his greatness, but what he's done for them. And so that Israel will have the reminder that look at, you know, God's saying, look at, look at all I've done for you. My love for you will never end. And that's quite a statement. And again, like you said, he mentions 26 times. There's 26 verses in this chapter and every verse ends with a reminder. And the overall, the beginning of it mentions to give thanks to the Lord for he's good. So this is a reminder. We need to be thankful. And I realize it's written to Israel, but it applies to us. We need to be thankful to God, not just because of what he's done, which he's done amazing things, but for who he is. Yeah. Right. And we had just celebrated Thanksgiving this past month. And I think that Thanksgiving shouldn't just be celebrated that one day a year. Thanksgiving needs to be celebrated every day. I'm not saying go out and buy a turkey every week. (laughs) That would be gross uh, because that's a lot of turkey. But I'm saying it needs to, thankfulness needs to be part of our everyday life and not just one day of the year. Right. We need to live in a constant state of thankfulness to God. Exactly. Because we would be nothing and have nothing without God. Um, And then we have our Proverbs, which... I have appreciated so much this year having a Proverbs paired with each reading um, just because it, it kind of, everything ties in together. Um, I'm going to butcher this name, 
um, agar, agar, um, I don't know how to say this name and that's okay. Um, his only, he asked for nothing but for God to take everything away except give him just what he needed for that day. Uh, all he asked was for his daily bread, right. which is God. And he he starts off this chapter calling himself stupid and calling himself just ridiculous. Yet he's wise enough to know to himself. He's wise enough to know himself and say, um, if I have too much, I'm going to be selfish with it. I'm going to waste all of my money. I'm going to selfishly keep all of my money and not reach out to people who aren't as fortunate as I am. I'm not going to be giving back to God. Um, so in the same time as him being so self-deprecating, he's still so wise in knowing himself and knowing what he needs and knowing that God is the bread of life. And if all he has is God and the bread of life, he's good. He's set for life. He has, he needs nothing else. Yeah. He's a lot more wise than he, he, he indicates earlier in the chapter because he does, it is kind of self, I don't know if it's self-deprecating or if it's just honest about his own limitations. And he mentions not having knowledge, not having wisdom. But then when I read what he asked God for, it seems like he, he is wiser than he realizes because I think one of the things that we can get caught in in a trap is to is to assume that we know more than we do. Right. And he was very honest about the fact that he didn't know what God knows. He didn't have the wisdom of God, but it was very wise to ask. He asked for actually two things to keep that God would keep deception and lies away from him, which is very, very important. Yeah. Um, and that not to give him either poverty or riches. Riches would draw him away from God and make him rely too much on himself. And poverty, it, he didn't want to fall into temptation to steal. And so to me, this these were very wise requests because he knew his own limitations. He knew the temptations of the world. Mm. And he knew that if he asked God just for two things, keep, keep deception away from me and just give me what I need each day that he would continue to trust God and rely on God every day. Exactly. Which I think I wish I was more like this. I am not this (laughs) self-aware. I will be the first to admit it. Um, I will be the first person to say, Oh, I want more docs. Um, but I can't because I need to pay for school. Yeah. Well, he had more of an eternal perspective in my mind. Yes. Which Mm -hmm. I think it, shows me that I need to be more self-aware of myself and my limitations and relying more on God than I probably do, which now I'm thankful for reading this, uh, this little snippet of Proverbs. Okay. Well, that wraps up our reading of day 351. We are on the home stretch. We're almost at single digits of days left. So way to go. Um, We hope to see you again tomorrow for tomorrow's reading. Um, We just pray that you're keeping keeping up with the reading. And if you're not, it's okay to just like pick back up on uh, day 352. Um, 
All right. Have a great rest of your year, you guys. Bye.